I think we'll wait another minute or two and see if anyone else wants to join and then we'll continue. Yeah, I think we'll uh, start from here. So hello everybody, my name is John Dealey. I'm an environmental economist working in NUIG. I've been working in the blue economy for about the last six years through my PhD, and then with my work with Alice, looking at blue-green infrastructures and how we could use them to mitigate uh, climate change actions. Most recently, I've been working on the Ishka project, which is what I'm going to talk about today, when I talk about modelling demand for marine and coastal tourism um, in Ireland. Yeah, so the project itself is headed by Professor Stephen Hines and Professor Mary Cawley. It started in April of 2020, and there's obviously been a lot of changes in tourism since then. But our original aim was to further our knowledge of sustainable marine tourism, um, development by examining the exact links between marine tourism products, providers and natural and cultural assets by assessing what sustainable marine tourism means for local uh, stakeholders and by assessing international best practices in terms of sustainable marine tourism development. Now what all that means practically for us was we're looking at policy development in Ireland around the marine tourism sector, benchmarking that against international tourism, um, seeing how we could enhance our tourism product and where other uh, countries and nations have excelled. Um, we were also looking at doing qualitative analysis. So originally we had aimed to do our qualitative analysis over this uh, past summer, but due to COVID-19, we had to change our plans. The qualitative analysis would involve interviewing um, uh, people from the marine tourism sector and discussing how they provide their products and how they interact with actual consumers. So today we're going to look at the quantitative elements of the Ishka product project. But before that, I'd like to start with some definitions. So the definitions here are important because we use some definitions that diverge from the EU standard and other definitions are the EU standard, but most people might have a different interpretation of what that definition uh, generally is. So first of all, we have a coastal area. So coastal area for us is defined as a coastal city, town, village or rural area close to the sea. Now the EU standard is to be 50 kilometers away from the uh, ocean or sea, but because Ireland is so small, most places will be within 50 kilometers of the ocean. Um, so we just use our uh, uh, close to uh, coastal area as a definition. So for this particular webinar, um, uh, we're going to call a marine related activity as any water based activity that necessitates contact with the sea. So like swimming, surfing, boating, yachting and angling. So if you use a, a tool or an implement um, that goes into the ocean, we also count that as a marine related activity like angling. So a tourist is a visitor whose trip involves an overnight stay. So that's the important part of that definition. It's an overnight stay away from the usual place of residence. So this does not include day trippers. So a day tripper is a person who takes a, a period of time away from their home to a coast or marine area and then goes back to the same residence during the night as one may expect. So we're gonna go over this idea of a day tripper and an overnight stay quite often when we discuss our domestic tourism um, product. Um, but it is important to remember that when you see Fulcher Ireland's reported statistics, they count a tourist just as a person who takes an overnight stay. So all that day tripper um, uh, economic data is kind of pushed aside or not really thought about that much. Now that's just not Fulcher Ireland, that's the EU standard. So marine and coastal tourism itself is a very important, important part of the ocean-based industries. So ocean-based industries account for about $1.5 trillion uh, per year, and that was back in 2010. Um, marine and coastal tourism accounts for 26% of this total value and 22% of the total employment. 
The OECD have predicted that by 2030, um, marine and coastal tourism will be the largest sector of this ocean-based industries, um, accounting for 777 billion in revenue and 8.6 million people employed. Now, this uh, uh, prediction was made back in 2016, and that was a prediction um, presuming that things went forward in the way they had been. Um, so things may have changed quite a bit since then. In Europe, up to 2018, marine and coastal tourism was actually a larger sector than in the uh, global economy. It was the biggest sector. It accounted for 3.1 million persons employed, 62% of the total employment, and adding 88.6 billion in gross value, 41% of the total. So in Ireland, uh, marine and coastal tourism is equally important. It contributed 2.6 billion to the Irish economy in 2018. Uh, this is made up of 1.9 billion from overseas tourism, 0.7 billion from Irish uh, domestic overnight tourism. There's an additional about 0.7 billion that is accounted for as day trips that is not included in this value. Um, tourism numbers have increased since 2012 after the dip in 2008. Um, and in fact, in 2012, harnessing our ocean wealth, which is a marine. Um, policy document for our whole ocean economy had set targets of revenue of 1.5 billion by 2020. As you can see by the 2018 figure, um, this was going to be eclipsed. So the 1.5 billion just from overseas tourism. Uh, this was going to be eclipsed, but in 2020, we obviously had a massive downturn in overseas tourism. It's also worth pointing out that there is a myriad of benefits from a marine and coastal tourism that are non-monetary. These, these benefits include uh, spiritual, health, um, psychological, and there's a wealth of literature out there now based around uh, the importance of the marine and coast life and marine and coastal tourism. That is not truly captured by these values that I'm presenting. So uh, in 2018 and 2019, two surveys were conducted. These are the quantitative surveys that we're going to be discussing today. The first was a domestic survey and the second was an overseas survey. I'm going to begin with the domestic survey and go through some summary statistics, then move on to the overseas survey, summary statistics, and then I'm going to go on to the quantitative analysis itself. So sampling took place in February and March of 2019 and 1,014 people were interviewed at their households. A quota controlled sampling procedure was uh, taken to match census statistics from 2017 for age, sex, social class and region of residence. Um, during the survey, uh, people were asked questions in relation to their expenditure on marine and coastal tourism, how many days trips they took, how many overnight trips they took to uh, tell us about their experience with the Wild Atlantic Way, which we'll go through in some more detail a little later on and their experiences with marine and coastal activities. They were also obviously asked uh, demographic questions. So there was 81 sampling points. So they went around Red Sea in this case, which was a survey company, went around uh, Ireland and uh, interviewed people at 81 different electoral districts. And the survey took about 10 minutes. And there was a report written based on this survey that can be found at this website um, that outlines the summary statistics and extrapolates to the nation based on these statistics. Yeah, so we see here that um, the complete sample that we're using for the quantitative analysis, 965 people. So what we did was we removed extreme outliers. As we'll discuss in a little bit, extreme outliers tend to impact consumer surfaces quite a lot, but they don't move the averages that much. Um, so we lost about 49 people there. The average person spent about 72 euro per day trip and took 5.1 day trips, meaning that in 2018, they spent 367 euro on day trips. On overnight trips, they spent 260 euro per overnight trip and took on average 1.3 overnight trips. Um, and their expenditure in 2018 for the average person was 338 euro, which means that the average person was spending more on the day trips than the overnight trips. And I will remind you again, the day trips are not commonly cited as a source of revenue for uh, marine and coastal tourism. Um, Industries when we're talking about national statistics. So we saw that quite a large number of our sample or coastal trip makers went to the coast at least once, either for a day trip or overnight trip, about 81, 82%. 
Um, and over, on average, they spent more at the coast, as you would expect, uh, 86 euro, and took 6.1 day trips. And again, they spent more on day trips than overnight trips. Importantly, and a point that Stephen Hines has made uh, a number of times, is that marine active people, people who are actually going to the coast and engaging in the sea or the ocean, are spending more money per day trip, 106 euro. They're taking more trips, and on average, they're spending more in a given year on day trips and likewise on overnight trips. So it would behoove uh, governing bodies to invest more on marine and coastal tourism than other types of tourism as it is the most lucrative. But here we find that the marine active people spent more on overnight trips than uh, on day trips, uh, which is uh, contrary to the uh, sample as a whole and coastal trip makers. But even though I've made the point that day trips are more money than spent on day trips than overnight trips, it's important to understand where that money is going and whether or not it's actually going to the coastal areas. So here we have two pie charts, uh, the day trip pie chart on the left and the overnight pie chart on the right. Um, as you would expect, the largest expenditure for overnight trips is accommodation. A large proportion of day trips, the expenditure is on travel. Now, on day trips, uh, people tend to travel less far, but because they're traveling twice, so they're going more often, they're actually taking more day trips than total overnight trips, they're spending more on travel. So if one was to assume that half of that travel expenditure, be that renting a car or petrol or diesel, is going to the place of residence as opposed to the marine and coastal area, it would actually turn out that overnight trips uh, contribute more money to the marine and coastal areas than day trips. So even though day trips uh, expenditure is higher, it seems that most of the money from the overnight trips will go to the coastal area, whereas that may not be true for day trips. So looking at the proportion of respondents undertaking activities, um, we see up at the top for domestic people, a large proportion uh, did interact with the coast, uh, particularly through walking and swimming and other beach activities. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, we find the more expensive marine activities. So it seems that most people are engaging in these free or very cheap uh, coastal activities and very few people are actually engaging in the uh, more expensive activities. But it's also worth noting, noting that the more expensive activities are not only expensive in terms of money, but there's a time cost. So there's a skill level towards sailing and angling, um, maybe diving, um, that isn't needed for coastal walks or runs. So here we have uh, the spread of domestic tourism. So in each county that is coastal, um, we have pie charts, and the larger the pie chart, the more activity that's going on in that area. We see that there's quite a nice spread, um, particularly along the West Coast. There's a lot of activity in the West Coast, um, which is along the Wild Atlantic Way, which could be a major driver of uh, that activity. We see less activity on the East Coast, particularly in Dublin. So Dublin is obviously the most populous county. So one may expect that if it is a coastal county, which it is, um, that uh, there'll be a lot more day trip activity in this coastal area uh, than any other county in Ireland. But we don't think that, that doesn't seem to be true. And we will come back again and again to the idea that uh, Dublin doesn't seem to be a, seen as a coastal area or an area to undertake marine and coastal activities. Yeah, so moving on to the overseas survey. Uh, so sampling took place in August and September of 2018. So people were actually interviewed during their uh, trip um, and they're asked to project to the end of their trip. So we want to um, encompass the entirety of the trip, not just the portion they had already taken. Again, the survey was quite similar to the domestic survey, but we didn't ask them about um, day trips. So it was just all overnight trips, their expenditure, the counties they went to, and the activities they undertook, as well as, as demographic questions again. So four um, uh, sites were used in which to undertake uh, the survey, um, all of which are coastal in nature. So we have two in Dublin, one in Galway and one in Killarney, so Kerry. Um, but as we will see again and again, Dublin doesn't seem to be viewed as a coastal area. Um, and it is obviously the area that's visited most by overseas tourists as well as domestic tourists. So it's important to have uh, them to uh, uh, interview sites uh, in Dublin. So instead of having demographic uh, quotas, 
This time we use minimum quotas per country of residence, which again matched the central statistics offices um, uh, reference numbers for nationalities coming to Ireland. Um, and then we'd free fall out for age and gender and other demographics, but we tried to get it spread. Again, the survey was about 10 minutes and a second report was written up um, based on the results of the overseas survey, which can be found at this link below. So here we have, we actually conducted uh, 620 full interviews. Um, 10 people were removed because there were excessive spenders are, well, spent more than, uh, a lot more than the average. I would say they're excessive. Um, so about three quarters were coastal trip makers, um, but only about uh, a fifth, we'll have to move it. Yeah, only about a fifth um, were uh, marine active. So a lot of people are going to the Irish coastline. A lot of overseas tourists are going to the Irish coastline, but not that many are actually getting into the ocean. 41% um, of the complete sample uh, was a uh, was British, sorry, and then 36% went to the coast. So that's quite a large drop. We see that 5% uh, less. So it seems like that British people are less likely to go to the Irish coastline than many other uh, nations. And again, there was 41% in the marine active group. So British people do seem to be interacting with the ocean a lot more than the other nations, um, but they're not actually going to the coast as often. Uh, so you have a smaller pool that's going to the uh, marine active uh, uh, activities. Um, for other Europeans, so those that weren't British and Irish, um, or Northern Irish, uh, there was 29% in the fleet sample, and it was kind of static along the way, so coastal with 30 and marine active with 30 as well. We see that Americans, 23% met up the um, complete sample, and then 27% went to the coast, so an even larger number, but only 20% went to the ocean. So it seems like uh, American people are less likely to actually go into the Irish waters, um, which, uh, yeah, uh, causing this large drop. And then for all of the countries, which was predominantly Canadians, um, there was about 7% in complete sample, and it was pretty static along the way. So the average expenditure per person, this is in Ireland in total, was 655 euro. Those who were coastal trip makers spent 721 euro, and those who were marine actors spent 733 euro. Again, reiterating, reiterating the point that uh, coastal trip makers and marine active uh, tourists, be they domestic or overseas, do spend more money. And as we can see below, they spend more days in Ireland, 6.9 versus 7.8 and 7.6. And uh, they spend obviously more time where they coast. Again, I broke down the expenditure uh, for the overseas tourists um, using a pie chart, but the expenditure is kind of similar in terms of the uh, different groupings or segments that they spent the money on. Um, so there's not a hell of a lot to discern from uh, this. Again, we see similarities in the participation rates um, between those who were uh, domestic and those who were overseas. Again, we see the free activities, the coastal walks, the sightseeing, beach activities um, are the most prevalent um, for the overseas as well. And the more ex uh, expensive marine activities are less often undertaken. We do see that swimming takes a big jump down from overseas uh, tourists as in comparison to domestic tourists. <clears throat> so this is an important uh, slide here. See, overseas tourism spread. Again, I'll just reiterate that the size of the pie chart denotes how much activity is going on in that county based on our sample. And we see three big winners, Galway, Clare, and Kerry. Now, two of them were sampling points, Galway and Kerry. Um, but obviously, Dublin doesn't seem to have a lot of activity, nor does the rest of the East Coast, um, even though two sampling points were there. So we don't really get much spread from coastal tourism activity from overseas tourists, um, which is something that we would need to uh, combat in some way. And we will come back to that point a couple more times. Yeah, so just briefly to touch on the Wild Atlantic Way. So the Wild Atlantic Way is a, a, Ireland's first tourism branded experience. We've three more since. Ireland's ancient east, being on the east coast and being something similar to uh, Wild Atlantic Way, except a lot as coastally dominated in terms of its focus, more historically dominated. And then we have Dublin and Ireland's hidden uh, uh, midlands as well. Um, so it's one of the longest coastal routes in the world. 
um, it spans 2,600 kilometers. And we saw, we, we asked the respondents, sorry, from both the domestic survey and the overseas survey, um, whether or not they were aware of the Wild Atlantic Way, how many days spent in Wild Atlantic Way, uh, and just their interaction with the Wild Atlantic Way in general. And we find that 90% of domestic tourists were aware of the Wild Atlantic Way, which is a huge number, a real achievement. And 40% went in 2018 alone. We also found that 70% of overseas tourists were aware of the Wild Atlantic Way and 60% went on their current trip to the Wild Atlantic Way at some stage. The average number of days by the Wild Atlantic Way was 1.7 for the entirety of the domestic uh, tourism sample and 2.5 days for the overseas sample. We also asked the respondents to rate uh, the activities that they went on, uh, not just in the Wild Atlantic Way, but in general in Ireland at the Marine and Coastal Activities. And the response was very high. So out of five, the average was 4.75 um, for the domestic sample and 4.8 for the overseas sample. So most people are basically uh, saying that the activities they undertook, the quality of them was five out of five. Yeah, so now I'm going to move on to the quantitative analysis. Again, I'm going to start with the domestic and then move on to the overseas. Um, I'm actually going to explain the models through uh, the tables and the results tables rather than going through the mathematics of it, because I want to point out what is important rather than uh, how they work itself. So the logic model, the participation model, we've done two of them for the domestic uh, uh, tourism data. The first is day trip participation, and the second is overnight trip participation. So what the logic model does is it predicts the probability of day trip participation or overnight trip participation. So participation here is taking at least one day trip or one overnight trip. And if we see a coefficient that is positive and significant, with significance denoted by uh, the stars, so one star for 10%, uh, two stars for 5%, and three stars for 1%, so a positive and significant variable means the probability of participation increases and negative and significant uh, 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 coefficient means the uh, uh, likelihood of participation uh, fall. So for the overnight participation model, we find that social class and income have a big impact on participation, a significant impact on participation. <clears throat> in comparison to those in social classes A and B, which are typically the highest earning social classes, those in social classes C1 to D and social classes E and F are less likely to participate in the overnight uh, market, marine and coastal market. So they're less likely to take at least one marine and coastal trip that involves a night stay. Um, those who were on zero to 30,000 were, uh, well, it's better phrase this way. Sorry, those on 30,000 to 60,000 and those on 6,000 plus were more likely to participate in the overnight market than those on less than 30,000. We also found that the income refused uh, category was significant, and we do find this quite often, um, but it's hard to discern why exactly it's significant. So the income refused category was those who refused to tell us uh, what their income was, which is fair enough. Um, and then we went look back in the data and seeing if we could see from their social class or age or other demographics, um, what bracket they might be in, because economic theory generally uh, views it as, those are normally the people who are lowest or the highest income, but we couldn't discern exactly where they were coming from. So it's impossible to say why we got these significant results for income refused, um, but they do present themselves. We also find that uh, Students were more likely to participate in the overnight model. Um, sorry, they were less likely to participate in the overnight model, but those with a third level education were more likely to participate in the overnight model, which means that there's a turning point. So sometime after becoming a student and getting your third level education, you do tend to take more overnight trips, probably around the time that you get your first higher paying uh, job. We found for the day trip uh, model, for day trip participation, but that age had a quadratic effect, meaning that um, as age increased, the probability of taking a day trip increased up to a certain point, which was 57 years, and then started decreasing again. We also found that living with a partner 
so either married or otherwise, uh, improve the probability of both day trips and overnight trips. And we do find this uh, quite often in our modeling, um, which seems to suggest that uh, either living with a partner or being married um, makes one more likely to uh, participate in winning coastal activities. Um, there might be a level of romance or more, more enjoyable uh, when one is a couple. However, we also found that if they had a child, age between zero and four, they were less likely to participate in uh, both day trips and overnight trips, which could be got to do with A, maybe cost, um, or B, uh, um, time. So there might be a time associated with a child of that age. Uh, that means that you don't have enough, you don't have free time to go to the coast. And also they're less able to participate in uh, coastal activities because they'd be too young. Um, so that might mean that other activities have to take precedence. Um, yeah, those who were, if we, if the dependent had, if, sorry, if the respondent had a dependent age between five and 15, they were more likely to uh, take overnight trips. So there is a certain point when the child becomes old enough that it does increase the likelihood of participation in uh, marina coastal tourism. Uh, yet an important thing here is that distance to coast was not significant. So I think a lot of people would have expected that um, the distance to the coastline would predict the number of sorry, the uh, data participation and overnight tip participation. But in this case, we did not find that. Now, that wasn't overly surprising to me because Ireland is so small, it seems that one would have the ability to either take a day trip or overnight trip, particularly seen as overnight trips generally include uh, longer drives anyway, um, that uh, distance course probably wouldn't be significant. <clears throat> So yeah, Dublin we found was uh, significant for participation in the day trip market, um, but I'm gonna come back to that now and again in a second um, because it's worth looking at the other models before we get a full picture of uh, Dublin as a coastal entity. Um, being aware of the Wild Atlantic Way was positive and significant for both the day trip participation and overnight trip participation, as one may expect. So if you knew about the Wild Atlantic Way, you're more likely to go on day trips or overnight trips to any coastal area, which makes sense. If you are aware of the Wild Atlantic Way, you probably are more involved in coastal activities and, and uh, more cognizant of what's going on along the coast. Plus, if you're actually in the Wild Atlantic Way um, in 2018, which 40% of the domestic sample was, you would have said yes to participation and you would have participated, sorry, and you would have said yes to awareness. <clears throat> so now we look at the travel cost models for the domestic sample. So the travel cost model in itself um, is a counting model. So it predicts the probability of taking more day trips or more overnight trips. So it's not just participation, it's the amount of trips this time. Um, we are using a truncated travel cost model. So uh, for the domestic um, tourism data set, what we have is the expenditure spent on a trip. And we're using that to infer cost. So when a person took zero trips, their expenditure is zero. So then we would be inferring that the cost of the trip is zero, which isn't true. The cost of the trip may be larger than the cost of the trip to people who actually took it. And economic theory would normally suggest that. Um, so in order to remove the idea that people who have zero cost would take zero trips, uh, we truncate our model. So it's just individuals who have taken either a day trip or an overnight trip. As a consequence, the number of observations in the day trip uh, model is 697. So that's all the people who took at least one day trip. And for the overnight trip model, it's 388, uh, which is all the people who took an overnight trip. So travel cost in itself uh, is a negative and significant variable, as we would expect. As cost goes up, the number of day trips uh, taken uh, will go down. And as cost goes up, the number of overnight trips taken will go down. And it's important to point out here that the overnight trip model is actually the number of nights as opposed to the number of trips. Uh, so to keep it equal uh, for every respondent, we use number of nights, whereas a trip could be of any non-determinate length. So that number of nights uh, is more consistent. So unlike the participation model, we found that social class was negative and significant for the day trips but not for the overnight trips, which means that if you were in social class um, C1 to D or social class E to F, you are less likely to take a day trip than uh, those in the traditionally higher paying social classes of A and B. 
Um, yeah, income. So if you were uh, earning 6,000 or more, you tend to take more overnight uh, trips or more nights uh, by a marine coastal area in comparison to those on less than 30,000. And again, we find the income refuse uh, category is significant, but we can't say exactly why. Um, yet yeah, some of our uh, employment variables were significant. Um, those who were unemployed were less likely to take overnight trips, um, uh, but those who were retired uh, tended to take more overnight trips. So the unemployed is probably got to do with costs, whereas retired maybe got to do with either less likely to travel, more likely to take weekend trips, but also having more time to actually take trips. Again, we find that living with a partner, so either married or living as married, um, meant an increase in the number of day trips one took. Um, but a dependent aged under the age of four meant less day trips, and a dependent between uh, five to 15 meant more uh, day trips. So we do see a reoccurrence of these ideas between participation and um, the number of trips people are actually taking. So distance to coast was negative and significant. The further away you live from the coast, the less day trips you would take, which makes sense. Um, even though we mightn't expect it to impact the initial one trip, the number of day trips would have to be uh, impacted by how far you have to travel for each day trip. So in the participation day model, we found that being from Dublin meant you were more likely to participate, but you take fewer day trips. So that means that they do take day trips, but they're not taking as many as other counties, as, as the rest of Ireland rather. Um, which again seems to point out, along with our, um, our, our, our spread model, our spread maps, that people in Dublin aren't using Dublin as a recreational site for marine and coastal tourism. They were, however, more likely to take more overnight trips, which may be due with the fact that people from Dublin um, earn more on average. So the relative cost of an overnight trip uh, would be less. Now, the most surprising result is right here in the Aware of Wild Atlantic Way. If one was aware of the Wild Atlantic Way, they took fewer day trips. Um, th this doesn't to me make any particular sense. I would imagine that if we were to do this exact same survey again a second time, um, we wouldn't come up with this result. I'd say it's an anonymous um, statistical uh, result that is not causal. Um, uh, which one would expect from this level of uh, modeling from this amount of variables at a 10% level, we would expect some non-column results. But of course, if you were aware of the Wild Atlantic Way, you did spend more days, or sorry, more nights uh, by the uh, coastline. Um, so if you went on an overnight trip, you're more likely to go on a, a day trip. But if you went on a day trip, you're less likely to go on more overnight trips which seems to suggest that if you can go on overnight trips, you will go on both overnight trips and day trips. But if you can just go on day trips, that's all you can go on. Which again, I think reiterates the point that there might be a social class or income divide that's allowing one group to do both overnight trips and day trips, and one group is just doing day trips. Uh, those who travel alone uh, tend to take fewer uh, overnight trips, which may not be that surprising. Uh, it seems like from our other analysis that living with a partner and having a partner tends to increase the uh, number of day and night trips one takes. Um, some of the activities were also uh, modeled. So if you were uh, involved in walking or angling or water activities, you took more day trips um, and walking also uh, resulted in more overnight trips and uh, as did swimming. So the quantitative analysis for the overseas tourism. So here we have the loja participation model. So again, it's a, a one. So if they participated, if they went to a marine and coastal area, they're said to have participated in uh, marine and coastal tourism. Uh, and then on the right-hand side, we have the travel cost model. So this is not a truncated travel cost model. We do have costs related to days spent away from the coast as well. Um, so those who took zero trips are still included in our overseas uh, travel cost model. So as one would expect, uh, as costs increase, um, the probability of participation and the length of stay by the coast decreased. Um, we also find that people from America and people from Europe outside of Britain are more likely to participate in marine and coastal tourism and spend more days in marine and coastal areas in comparison to British people. 
So again, this probably goes back to the idea that British people aren't interacting with our Irish coastline as often as other nations, particularly people from the rest of Europe and from the USA. Uh, somewhat surprisingly, if you travel alone, you're more likely to participate in uh, marine and coastal tourism and spend more days by the coast. So this is a market that was very rarely uh, a thought of, I'd imagine. Um, mostly, if you were to see even advertisements, it's mostly generated towards families and groups and the, the person traveling alone, which predicts uh, more days by the coast, um, is often forgot about. So it's worth considering these people uh, when developing policy. If you travel with children, you spend more days by the coast as well. Um, and if you're part of a tour group, you're more likely to participate in marine and coastal tourism, but did not spend any more days by the coast. Now, we'll go back to this point again in a minute, but there seems to be a suggestion that tour groups tend to go to uh, the site of interest, be that the cliffs and more, um, and just stay there as long as it takes to take a picture. So they're not really contributing to the marine and coastal areas, but they still have that same uh, environmental impact. Um, we also found that people on business trips, so business and pleasure trips, as opposed to just pleasure trips, uh, spent were less likely to participate in marine and coastal tourism. This, to a certain extent, is to be expected. They probably have less leisure days in Ireland, so they're less likely to participate in marine and coastal tourism. Again, living with a partner um, was positive and significant in both models, uh, like our uh, earlier domestic models. So they're more likely to participate in marine coast tourism and spend more days by the coast. If you earned uh, more than thirty to 60,000 in comparison to those who earned 30,000, uh, you were more likely to participate in marine coast tourism. However, we did not find those on 6,000 plus were more likely to participate in marine and coastal tourism or spend more time with the coast. And in fact, they didn't spend longer in Ireland either. Um, it may be the case that those on these much higher incomes tend to come to visit Ireland as part of a larger European tour. Um, so they may be going to England and France as well. So they don't spend as much time by Ireland and they may tend to spend their marine and coastal time in warmer nations or these southern parts of warmer nations uh, in comparison to Ireland. Again, we find income refused is possibly significant. And um, yeah, so participation in walking and cycling also predicts um, more days in uh, marine and coastal areas uh, as is uh, water activities. So it does seem that the investment, which there has been quite a large investment in coastal routes, um, has been very beneficial. We saw across all our models that um, walking and biking and coastal routes increased um, some level of, of activity. <clears throat> so the consumer services. So consumer services are the value uh, above what a person has spent, uh, which they retain from a day trip or overnight trip uh, to a marine and coastal area. Um, in the case of the domestic day trip model, the consumer surplus was 225 euro and the expenditure was 86 euro. So there's a, in comparison to how much is being spent, there's a very large consumer surplus. Uh, for the domestic overnight trips, the consumer surplus was 368 euro and expenditure was 179 euro. So about double the uh, uh, expenditure, which means that you are receiving less from an overnight trip in terms of consumer surplus in comparison to your expenditure, um, but you're still experiencing uh, a lot of consumer surplus. And this could go back to the notion of, you know, the undervalued um, uh, benefits of marine and coastal tourism in terms of spirituality and health and, and what have you. Um, yeah, th there could be um, a diminishing margin return from uh, consumer surpluses related to expenditure for overnight trips as well. That could be why there is a difference between the expenditure consumer surpluses. Um, for those on overseas, they experience a consumer surplus of 295 euro and expenditure was about 100 euro, which is quite interesting in the fact that the expenditure spent by per night by overseas tourists is about half of what the domestic people are spending uh, when they go to marine and coastal areas. Um, <clears throat> This is hugely surprising. I'd imagine a lot of domestic overnight trips are part of like three day holidays and people tend to spend more and go to more luxurious places um, during them periods. But it does kind of reiterate the point in people's minds that domestic tourism in Ireland has to be expensive. Whereas when the overseas people are doing it, 
it's not that expensive. So there are options. Yeah, so obviously we are now in a position uh, due to COVID to have to rebuild uh, marine and coastal tourism. We don't know this coming summer um, what level of uh, international tourism will be allowed in Ireland. So I'm going to present the domestic route to recovery and the overseas route to recovery, but hopefully we'll be using a combination of both this coming summer. So it would seem that there is an inequality issue with marine and coastal tourism. We saw again and again social class and income impacted participation in marine and coastal tourism. This was written about back in 2003 by John Curtis and hasn't really changed in the last 20 years. So it would seem that if you could reduce this inequality, maybe by um, allowing for uh, reduced costs in the shoulder months, so the months outside of peak season, you may be able to entice more people on lower incomes to come to marine and coastal areas whilst extending the tourism season, which is a very important part of well, tourism development in general, but uh, marine and coastal tourism more specifically. It would behoove people to convert day trippers to overnight tourists. Um, we do see that day trip expenditure is very high, particularly per year, but it is more likely that most of the expenditure from overnight tourism goes to the marine and coastal areas, whereas this may not be true for day trips. Now, my next point is a lot easier for me to say uh, than it probably is for the people who are experiencing this by bringing out the product, but domestic tourism could be looked at as an opportunity to uh, introduce the Irish people to marine and coastal activities during periods of lockdown. So if uh, Irish people were introduced to the sea, in a, a manner that would make them recurring tourists, uh, even day trippers, we may be able to extend the tourism season uh, um, through domestic tourism um, into uh, shoulder months uh, when the Irish waters are pretty much the same temperature in May as they are now in November. So we could have quite a large extension period of our, our seasonality um, from rain and coastal tourism. It is also worth noting that domestic tourism has a much greater spread than um, uh, overseas tourism. Uh, we saw this in our, our map earlier on. Um, this is important in terms of economic sustainability, particularly in rural areas um, that don't see much activity um, because there is a transfer of wealth from uh, more lucrative uh, parts of the country um, to less well-off parts of the country. But there's also less environmental impact when there is touristic spread, that everyone isn't just going to the one site. Um, yeah, for rebuilding overseas tourist uh, activity in marine and coastal areas, we need to encourage British people to visit the Irish coast. Now, this may be quite difficult. I'd imagine it's very difficult to uh, convince a person from Dover to come and see the Cliffs of Moher. They'll tell you they have a better one back home. But there's obviously a large contingent of British people who are marine and coastal active doing some sort of uh, marine activities. I know from past work that there's a large contingent of coarse anglers who come over to Ireland uh, for, uh, to use our blue economy to interact with our coarse fishing sites. Uh, and to extend that to British people for marine tourism will be a great benefit to Ireland, given that they are the largest contributor in terms of percentage uh, tourists coming over here. So ensuring tour groups spend longer in coastal areas. So the um, county level policy documents have been looking at this quite extensively and quite importantly. Again, just to reiterate the point, there seems to be a lot of tour groups that come down to certain areas and they stay as long as it takes to take a picture. This is not environmentally sustainable and it's not economically sustainable. So what these county level uh, policy documents are suggesting is clustering of activities. So you build activities around already prominent sites um, so that tour groups and overseas tourists in general want to spend hours, days in these areas and they have activities to do. Um, so once, basically once you've got them uh, down to these sites, it's about keeping them there. And to do that, we need clustering of different activities around popular sites. Um, yeah, there needs to be an increase in tourism spread along the East Coast. We saw that Wild Atlantic Way area was very popular, but there's very little activity going on on the East Coast. Uh, this would help with economic sustainability as well as environmental sustainability. Um, in particular, the enhancement of Ireland's ancient East uh, could contribute to that. 
um, we already have a lot of people going to Dublin. So again, it's about keeping people in areas that they are to enhance our sustainability measures. It could also be the case that for uh, those earning more than 60,000 per annum, luxury products may encourage them to uh, stay long in Ireland, although this would have to be uh, undertaken to actually know whether or not this would uh, achieve anything. So just to conclude, there's obviously a vibrant uh, domestic market. There's large consumer surpluses both for uh, day trips, overnight trips and overseas tourists. Day trips are probably undervalued in the fact that they're underrepresented. So when we see policy development or we see national figures, we don't include day trips. So we are excluding them and not thinking about them when we want to drive more economic um, vibrance into a marine and coastal area. Overseas uh, tourists contribute a lot to the economy, but there's still room for growth. There was back in 2018, and now there's a lot more room for growth. And there are means of making marine and coastal tourism more environmentally and economically sustainable um, through uh, uh, selection of policies based on our uh, uh, quantitative analysis and uh, uh, targeted marketing. And that's my uh, funding. And I think now I will uh, see if there's any questions open. Uh, so there's no questions. Um, if anyone wants to add any questions or has any comments, I'd be happy to uh, try and address them. Uh, how are you doing, Fanola? Fanola asked, when was the research carried out? So the actual um, surveys were conducted in 2019 for the domestic surveys and 2018 for the overseas surveys. The analysis was just done uh, this in 2020, um, but the reports then were written in 2019. So using the summary statistics um, from the overseas data and uh, a second report was finished in 2020 for the domestic um, data as well. In what months? Okay, uh, so Fanola asked, and in what months? It could have an impact on response to coastal activity and the number of overseas visitors. Yeah, so for the um, overseas, it was in, let me see. Yeah, so overseas sampling took place in August and September. And yes, you are right that um, that would impact the numbers, but what, and, and coastal activity, of course, as well. Um, as we'd be less likely to see uh, coastal activity in the later months. Um, but then the extrapolation for the report, the numbers are based on central statistics office numbers of activity, as opposed to the activity in the data set, set itself. So what type of policy change would you would you see as improving day trips? Is it just the reporting uh, status? No. Um, well, I, I think in general, the policy has been developed in a manner that asks people to develop more overnight uh, tourism activity. So I think if it was included in uh, the national reporting, um, and then therefore included in policy targets, it would be a starting way to, um, to build towards aiming for increase 
in day trip. I think the big issue is that it's not in for it all. It just kind of happens and that's seen kind of as good enough. Um, in terms of other policies, I suppose, like the, the there's large benefits towards the day trips as well because there's a lot more um, activity outside of normal uh, touristic season. Um, so one could encourage day trips in the shoulder months by uh, some sort of rebate system, some sort of um, uh, some sort of offering um, during these off-season peak off-peak uh, periods. Thanks. Panola also says, to your point, Dublin in the shoulder seasons have not been taken up by the regions. Yeah, that's true. Like, yeah, there's there seems to be a large missed opportunity in Dublin and the surrounding counties in terms of touristic um, marine and coastal activity, um, which is a shame because obviously so many people um, go to these areas that it seems like it would be in some ways easy to capitalize on that. Maybe not in Dublin. Maybe it's already built up in a certain way, but in Loud and in surrounding counties, um, we might be able to encourage more marine and coastal activity. I mean, uh, at the other side of Loud, there's a lot of um, marine and coastal activity up in the north of Ireland. Um, uh, in the name escapes me now, but there's um, a huge amount of uh, coastal activity. So there's no reason that it couldn't happen in, uh, in Loud too. Yeah, I think if there's no more questions, um, we can probably just end it there. Yeah, okay, thank you everyone for coming along. It was a pleasure talking to you and I hope you got something out of this.